You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Land of Legacy podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dyes, also here. Also here? Yeah. Like, I'm not a host? <laughs> You're a jerk. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, so Matt Dye is Guess he's sitting period. right up front, right front and center, ready to go, lead the charge, yeah. all that good stuff. Darn How's not. that for a pat on the back? Yeah, give so credit where it's due. Yeah, this is our, oh gosh, 21st, 21st podcast. We are right in the middle of the heat of summer, but a lot of bucks have developed rather nicely for us and for a lot of people. You're starting to see the buzz on the social media world. Age this buck. Check this guy out. Hit lists are being built. And you're seeing some really good deer. We've got some really good deer that we've found on a property that we hunt that we're very excited about. And uh, it's it's also that time of year where, you know, a lot of times bows should be shot, we think, year-round. But as life goes on and busy schedules happen, you don't get to shoot. But this is the time of year where... Even the busiest of people are like, all right, I got to start shooting. And I think there's a lot of things that get done the wrong way when you start shooting this time of year. A lot of bad habits get formed. Um, but it's also a very important time to start shooting. And, Matt, I haven't given you – I told you you're front and center, and I haven't even given you the mic yet. I'm sitting back here waiting for my turn, my turn to talk. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it is crazy how busy you get, and then you, you realize that season's – opening you know week is two months away and you're like oh, i i really need to start picking up my bow and and getting dialed in and, and getting that um just practicing that muscle memory and, and getting everything your eyes set your hand your release all that back into into play and where you're comfortable and making um those shots so for today we are actually gonna be having a caller and be interviewing Lance Thornton of Bass Pro's um, archery team. And he is an extremely, extremely accomplished um, archer. And he's going to enlighten us. And I've I, I talked to him a bunch and, and shared and done some speaking engagements and such with him. But he's really, really knowledgeable, um, extremely humble. But he knows a bunch and has done a bunch. Um, and he's a bow hunter at heart. I mean, a deer hunter. And so... We're going to take that knowledge and try and digest it and get it down to how can we best prepare for bow season that's coming up and what are, what are the things that we need to be doing ASAP to get us ready for that opening day and for the rest of the season, what we need to be doing throughout season just to keep that um, you know muscle memory up and confidence. Confidence is a big thing. And he's, I think a lot of times in the shooting world, 
for me and for a lot of guys that I talk to, our biggest struggle is what's between our ears. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully Lance can share us some techniques and tips to where we can overcome the mental game that goes with shooting. Um, and because we're going to talk on target panic, that's one of the worst things. And it's, it, it's something that I think a lot of people deal with. And hopefully Lance will give us some tips to maybe avoid those for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. Let's get him on the, let's get him on the line and, and see what uh, old Lance has to say. Where you at? Where you at? Hello. What's going on, Lance? How you doing? Uh, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? Doing good, man. We're uh, getting ready to uh, – we're getting ready for bow season. That, that's what we're doing. We're – we've been so busy um, that we're – I guess we're, we're at fault, too, for just kind of getting our, our shooting in and getting that time um, every evening in front of a target with the, with the stick and string. But um, it, we're getting excited. Season's around the corner. Oh, yeah, it'll be here before you know it. That's so, for sure. Lance. That is for sure. Give us a yes, little sir. bit of background on your what, – what you do at Bass Pro. Uh, what I do for Bass Pro is I'm on their shooting staff. So Bass Pro sponsors me to, uh, to shoot – to travel around the country and shoot my boat. I, uh, Where do we sign up for that? <laughs> <laughs> are there, are yeah. there any openings? Yeah, I'm, I'm, that I do not know, but I, I am a very, very fortunate person to be able to do this. Yeah, well, it comes with, with skill. And um, so, like, on a yearly basis, kind of talk to us a little bit about, like, you know, some, some events that you might be going to and, and representing the Bass Pro team. What are what are some of the, that schedule like for you? Well, the season generally starts. So, like, say, let's say the season will generally start January, February, depending. Mm-hmm. Lancaster is usually the first shoot that I would go to of a year, which is in January. to indoor shoot. Right. Then it'd be off to Vegas in, in the, at the first part of February. For the that's the largest indoor shoot in the world. Uh huh. Largest archery tournament period, actually. Wow. And then the season basically runs. Tournament season basically runs till September. And then, you know, of course, then the most important season of all comes around. That's hunting season. Right. You got, you but got, we, you got I'll, time off I'm pr- Yeah, absolutely. You have to have your priorities straight. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> but uh, so in, in that case, you know, I am slightly fortunate because I've been shooting my bow all year, so I'm ready for bow season to come around. Sure. But, uh, yeah, that's about, you know, usually shoot around – um, I'd say a tournament a month. Okay. Um, we shoot all the U.S. national, uh, what's called like the USAT series. To make the U.S. national archery team, you have to shoot USAT series tournaments uh, all through USA Archery. Um, and, and you know, that's really what my, I guess, most of my year consists of is, is doing that and, and just kind of overall trying to stay in shape and train, you know, to, to be the best I can out there. Right, absolutely, and and before we started recording, we were, we were talking with you, and you did just get word, and and, and you had a, a qualifying shoot for the world. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, I actually just got back on Monday from uh, the qualification for the the world team, world championship team, which I, I did make 
make that team. So we are headed to the world championships. <laughs> and thank you. In the first part of September, not be in Beijing, China. Wow. So we'll be representing the old US of A over there. Awesome. Man, that's incredible. And and if anyone is listening and they're like Lance, okay, he shoots a bow throughout a year, cool, whatever. I think I think you just kind of uh, qualified yourself for the rest of the podcast. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, he <laughs> definitely knows what he's doing. Cool. Good deal. So representing U.S. of A in Beijing, man, that's incredible. How, do, how does it feel, honestly, just to, yeah. to know that you're um, – well, you're, you're a military man. You've got uh, military experience. But how does it feel to honestly represent USA in, in a different form? Uh, you know, like to me, it's, it's a, it's a, like a hard thing to put into words. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, I do come from a military background. So like the, you know, that flag is a real important thing to me and representing this country is, but to do it in a, like in a different fashion than wearing a military uniform, but doing it in like a capacity where, you know, it's, it's all about like going out there and putting in the time and putting in the work mm-hmm. and, and earning that slot, you know what I mean? Like right. you, you earned that, you, you went to battle out there, you know, so to speak and made it. And so to be able to do that and then, you know, cause like in, in my sport, this would be the only thing larger than this tournament is the Olympics. So the world championships wow. is like the second largest tournament in my, dis- in, in this particular discipline that I'm shooting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's the largest, largest other than the Olympics. So it's, you know, it's a big thing. This is my second time going to a world championships. Last time I finished up eight. Wow. So hopefully this time we can get a little bit closer to that, that top slot. Man, that's incredible. That's awesome. And, you know, it's just, I, I'm, I'm glad that, um, you know, the, the USA team is represented by people like, you know, I, I'm glad that we, we've been able to become friends over, you know, honestly probably been about a year now, but, um, but just to know that, you know, being represented one with very, very skilled, um, athletes and then just, just good hearted people. Um, that's awesome. And, and we certainly wish you and the rest of the team the best in September. Thank you, Matt. Absolutely. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about, um, your hunting career and, and kind of how you got started, um, and where that's led you to today. Um, can you tell us, tell us a little bit about your experience in the, the bow hunting world. Well, I would say it started probably when I was about five or six. And my dad, you know, in the summertime, just at the time, I it was almost punishment, you know, just dragging you out there in like July and August to hang <laughs> tree stands. And you really didn't even know what was going on. It was just hot and you were having to carry stuff. <laughs> right. But, it was uh, a pack mule. <laughs> yeah essentially yes but we did you know like going out there with my dad and doing that and then I remember like one year I was I probably was too small wouldn't sit still enough you know to go and then the next year I went with him mm-hmm. you know and, and I we had some does come in underneath us and like I said I was probably about six and then after that I was like dad I need to get a boat I need <laughs> one of them so I can do that too right right so I got my my first bow when I was like seven He's my birthday bunny, and I, I remember I bought a Hoyt Accutech, and I had that thing and started shooting 3D tournaments that first summer. And with my with my dad and my dad's best friend, we would go almost every Saturday somewhere to a local 3D shoot. And then I've pretty much had a bow in my hands ever since. And I would say, 
you know, just like the passion of bow hunting, it just comes from my family. My my dad and his family are all from Kansas. Uh-huh. And so growing up in southeast Kansas, you know, there's just, there's giant deer all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, kind of a bow hunter, you know, destination spot, really. Yeah, for sure. It sets so, up really, really nicely for bow hunting. If you've ever looked in the aerial photo of yeah. southeast Kansas, you're like jaw-dropping because you can get to places and the funnels and pinch points are amazing. So you you started yes, they are. shooting 3D at 7? Did I get that right? Yes. Yep. <laughs> no wonder you're so good. <laughs> so pretty much, uh, I'm going to assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but at that age, when you were seven, you were shooting a lot of tournaments, probably during the summertime. Um, were you still shooting yeah. throughout the year, all year round at that age? Yeah, I pretty much would just wear bowstrings out. Like that was my <laughs> only thing. I you know, had to get home, and my, my mom and dad would make me do my homework. But as soon as it got done, I was out there punching holes in paper. Oh, wow. So I got to ask then, um, going back to your military background, how old were you when you enlisted and how long did you serve? Uh, I was I was 19, 19. I believe I was 19 years old when I joined. I'm trying to do the math here. and uh, <laughs> It's a hard thing. I, I only to. made it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I I was I served for three years, three and a half years, I guess. I lost my arm in Iraq in uh, July twenty fifth, two thousand seven. So almost ten years. Right. I got what six days. Yeah. And there'll be a ten year anniversary on on that. But wow. That so yeah, incredible. I mean, I didn't get to spend as much time in there as I wanted, but you know. Mike, I, I guess the reason I asked that happen. is my question for you on that is. Since you shot so much before that and now after that, how often was there any way you got to shoot during that three-and-a-half-year span? Um, Not so much. Like, I would have definitely enjoyed to been able to shoot, but I was – it was like, you know, that was a, kind of a busy time there Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. during the war. And so we, we didn't really necessarily have a whole bunch of time. Or I, I probably did. I probably just uh, was lazy, I guess, you know. I made sure I was hunting if yeah. I had days off in, you know, in the fall, but I had a bow sure. in my hand. But, yeah. Man, that's, I would that's say cool. that was probably my longest dry spell away from a compound. Right. And after coming back and everything and and after getting back and healthy and everything – how how much longer did it take for you to get like okay I'm confident I, I feel like I'm back square one um, with before before enlisting and stuff that you know you kind of retrained yourself and like okay I'm confident now I'm I'm gonna get back on the competitive um, schedule and start shooting again. Well, see, like I honestly really didn't have any drive to to shoot competitively. Like okay, I like to shoot to be better, like just to make my you know like. Oh, I shot this group at 50 yards yesterday. I'm going to shoot that same group, but I'm going to go back to 70 or something, you know? Right, right. was kind of what I did. I just wanted to be real accurate shot. So when I went hunting, I was, you know, extremely confident in any shot that I could get presented to me. Sure, sure. But we were sitting around in the house watching the uh, the Olympics one day, and uh, I guess this would have been like 2012 Olympics, mm-hmm. and my wife was like, "Well, why don't you try doing that?" 
And I was like, I, I don't know. Yeah. He's like, well, you ought to give it a shot. And so I did. Uh, that, that following year, 2013, was the first year I came, uh, like, to the competitive side, I guess. And uh-huh. um, I got I went out to the world championship trials and wound up, you know, <laughs> wound up making the team. I'm not really sure how I did. <laughs> but I wound up coming out and making the team that on that shoot, and then I've just been hooked ever since. Wow. I honestly – I wish you guys had recorded that conversation and, and that would have been incredible. Just some married couple sitting around one evening watching the Olympics in old <laughs> Southeast Kansas. Hey, why don't you try this? All right, I figure I will. <laughs> yeah. And then lo and behold, you're on, you're on the world team the next year. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it sounds ridiculous, but that's exactly how it went down. <laughs> I bet she's like, I, I can't believe you actually did that. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> if my wife told me to do something yeah, like that. Yeah, sometimes actually... she's probably like. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> I'll go ahead. I was just saying. If I, I said she's probably sits around sometimes going, you know, I wish I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> Knowing how much you travel, that, that's actually <laughs> maybe accurate. <laughs> that's, that's an incredible story. Uh, just that, that quick turnaround and just getting back in, well, back into shooting, but um, taking it to a different level and going competitive and then um, – Making the team your first year, that's awesome. And, and I, like, I like how, you know, it's all kind of based around, well, you know, I wanted, I wanted to be super accurate when a deer stepped out. Like, that, that comes down to the root oh, of just absolutely. how powerful the drive is for, for hunting and hunting successfully and not, you know, having those blown opportunities and such. You know, just feeling confident there um, in the hunting aspect and then how that led you into shooting competitively and doing obviously very very well for yourself um yeah you know like like you said that's for me that's what it is i just you know if we go out there you're gonna be out there i think you you, you owe the animal the right you know to make a good shot on it god mm-hmm. uh, agree 100 percent, lance you know that's oftentimes we talk about trying to be ethical and what you're doing in, in your whole thought process and and practicing all came back to as Matt said earlier, trying to be a more ethical hunter, and that, we can applaud you all day long for that. That's that's quite the the drive you've taken it way further than most of us have as trying to be an ethical hunter. Is in now you're on the Olympic team, or you were on the Olympic team. You're you're shooting for the USA this September, and it's all kind of comes back to being a more ethical hunter. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> tell us a little bit about your daily routine when it comes to shooting at this, at this stage um, in your life and kind of just walk us through that routine, what you're doing on a daily basis. Well, um, so generally I usually start my day out with at least, I would, at least an hour and a half. I try to get two hours in the gym and mm-hmm. I'm not like lifting weights the whole time, but I'll lift weights usually generally for at least an hour and then doing some kind of cardio swimming or running or mm-hmm. or something of that nature you know um and then from there like when it comes to the shooting aspect i you know a lot of times i'm not out there just pounding out 100 arrows or 200 arrows a night sure now there are nights i do that but like i i prefer to go out and you know say like tonight i'm gonna shoot like we have in 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 like the style of shooting I do, we'll have like elimination matches, right? And so that's 
three arrows for five ends, so like three arrows, five rounds basically. Okay. And you're shooting head to head, so you're you're shooting against somebody for an overall score of 150 points, but the highest you can shoot is 30 points per end. I got you. All right, so you need to make those three arrows count. And so a lot of times I'll go in and practice that. I'll put like four targets up on my bale mm-hmm. and shoot, you know, three into one and three into next and three into next. And just make sure that they're good shots, you know, sure. because archery is a game of repetitiveness, doing the exact same thing over and over and over again to get the same result. You know, if you want that arrow to hit in the middle, you got to do the same thing each and every time. Right, right. So if you can get that built into your brain, that muscle memory of what a good shot feels like and what the bow, you know, when you're at full draw, how it feels in your in your bow hand and then in, in your draw hand and how all that stuff feels, if you can get that muscle memory built and that shot process down, you know, getting the pin to hit in the middle becomes a lot easier. Right. So start, start like, you know, let's say someone is, is getting the bow back out of the case this summer, and, and your advice to them would be to start with how the bow feels in your hand at draw and, and get comfortable with it, get familiar with it, get that re- kind of routine down with the shots, and then start transitioning into worrying about where that arrow is hitting in relation to, you know, middle of the pin and, and so on and so forth. Is that right? Yes, sir. Like, uh, you know, like always want to – and, you know, probably the first thing when you get that bow out of the, the case or the, the your safe or whatever, wherever you had it stored is, you know, one thing you always want to do is just make sure everything's in good shape. Like your bowstrings are in good shape. You know, everything's ready to rock and roll. But then, yes, like when you go to shoot, because like, you know, like one thing that some of us have suffered from, I know I have, a lot of people do is target panic, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, Target panic is is built. It comes from anxiety, right? You're getting your your nerves get all fired up, and and then you you just kind of forget what to do because you're so w- focused and worried about that one aspect of the shot, like where that pin's at, and why won't it set in the middle, mm-hmm. right? So if you can get that, if you can get to where your shot process is like is methodical, so right. like your shot process, it goes from everything from grabbing that arrow off your quiver or out of your quiver and then knocking it to the bowstring and then sliding your hand onto the grip. You know, if you get it like subconsciously where your mind is doing that because like your mind can only control one thought at a time. So it can only have one thing going on and it's in there at a time. So if you can make that one thought be your shot process, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have time to worry about all that other stuff. Right. Right. You're not, and you're so not then that therefore Exactly, and then therefore your anxiety levels come down and everything feels like it's supposed to, and you can stay calm and make that shot. Right, right, right. And that all comes with the practice of doing that routine day in and day out and and just basically having that system of the step-by-step process and then doing that on a repetitive basis. Yeah, and I mean, you can do that like, you know, if you're on break at work, you can be sitting there like having a snack or a Coke or whatever, you know, and just think of that in your head. Like this is what I'm doing. Boom. You know, I'm knocking the arrow. I'm doing this. And then, you know what I mean? Then that, it's just like that, you know, that muscle memory comes in that, that subconscious takes over. And then when you go to actually start doing it, it's just, it just flows. Oh, that's, you know, 
I've read a lot about shooting and tips, but I don't think I've ever really heard about that, actually what you're doing. That's something you could do at work, as you said. Matt and I could be doing it. Shoot, he could be doing it right now while we're on the podcast. I am. <laughs> but no, that's, that's thing. <laughs> yeah, it's. I can definitely see where that that benefit is is of just training. Uh, you know, we all talk about bow shooting as being so physical and everything, but it's also, and I know you're going to talk about it here probably a little bit. It's so mental and just training your brain, and and you can do that without a bow in your hand or without being in front of a target. Do it at work. Do it on your your drive. Um, to and from work, just training your brain to, to remember that process. And again, like you said, get it to your subconscious where it is just so natural. You don't even have to think about it, but you're just, in, you're just doing those steps by steps by steps. That's like Adam said, that's, I've never heard someone talk about that, but that's really, really good. Um, really good advice. Well, uh, well, thank you. See, so, like, Go I got you guys fooled already. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, but seriously, that is like, you know, I think like I don't, you know, know for certain, but in in my opinion and, and you know, from being around a lot of the guys, you know, the, 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 some of the best compound shooters in the world and, and best recurve shooters, that's, you know, one of the ways like you're always like, man, how can that guy do it all the time? He just always is there. And it's that mental game. They got, you know, their mental game is so strong mm-hmm. that all the variables that are going on around them have zero effect on them because they're in the zone, you know, and they can just stay in that zone. Right, right. And that mental toughness, like you said, that's, that's what the game – archery is, in my opinion, is about 10% physical and 90% mental. I'm, I'm glad you said that because for years I have been – talking to people about the game of golf and I, I golfed in, in college and everything. And you see golfers of all different body styles and they're like, it's not really a sport. It's such a mind game. It's not even funny. You have a lot of parallels to that and shooting a bow in regards to just that, you know, getting set to the golf ball, getting comfortable over it, getting the swing and, and the timing is, is all a process. Um, and if you can block everything out, whether it's you know the wind or uh, a, a car going by on the on the um, close to the you know the driving range or whatever it is, you know blocking all that and just focusing on that shot and doing what you need to do um, and no distractions, you become a really really good golfer. And, and there was those, the kids on the range um, growing up, you know who could we called them really good range players. You know you tell them to hit a fade they hit a fade or you tell them to hit a draw, they hit a draw. And then they get on the golf course and they're all over the place because just the mental game, the aspect of it, they have the skill to be able to hit the shots, but controlling the outside forces, um, they just, they couldn't get back to the basics and just do the, the repetition of, um, you know, their, their pre-shot setup. And it's to me, and hopefully you can confirm I'm not just rambling, but that's similar to to shooting a bow competitively and accurately um, day in and day out. Absolutely. It's absolutely 100%. I actually uh, had a friend give me a book because I was having some trouble with Target Panic mm-hmm. uh, when I first started doing this, and it was a book about golf, like <sighs> about that exact thing you're talking about. Right. But what he did was is just everywhere where it said like had referenced golf or your swing, you just changed it to your bow right. and your shot. You know what I mean? As you read through the book 
And that's exactly exactly what you're saying. Is I mean, that's exactly what it is. It's the mental part. Mm-hmm. That's you know what makes those guys on the PGA Tour so good. Yes, their mental game is so strong. Well, you see a guy like like Freddie Couples, and if anyone knows who that is, he's he plays in the senior league, but he comes out for the major tournaments. He's always competitive, but he's he's not in the shape that you know these twenty year olds are in. But he's just got the calm, cool, collected. I'm just go up there, hit my shot, play my game, and see where that see where I end up. And he's very competitive because that's the other thing. He knows his game. He doesn't try and do anything else, and he just has that process. And I, for him, I'm sure you know it took it took years and it took a lot of practice to get there um, to build that memory and build that confidence in the the process of doing it all. Absolutely. So, Adam, you got a question about? Um, oh, one. So we're talking, kind of. That was ten minutes ago. But we were kind of talking <laughs> about when you start out shooting in the, in the year. For a lot of guys, we're not shooting all year round. Um, but if for those guys that are just now starting to get fired up, maybe they fired up a month ago. You often hear people starting with blind with blind bail. And do you do any blind bail? Absolutely. Um, that right there, like where I was talking about how like you can build that shot process and how that feel, that is like probably, and that's also one of the best ways to, to get rid of target panic, you know, okay. or to work through it. Cause with target panic is one of those things that can always come back and sure. it's something that just people just struggle with, you know, but blank, yeah. Blind bailing or blank bailing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very useful tool. I'll even do it at distance, you know, like say, 50, 50 yards, 60 yards, not necessarily have a spot on the target I want to aim at, but just, you know, get back and get the pin settled on the target and just make sure the release is clean and uh-huh. and what have you, you know, or, or focus on, like, my float, right? So putting stabilizers on the bow to slow that float down because you don't want to ever fight it. Right. You know, if you fight the float on your bow, you know, you're always just going to be a little bit behind. You just figure out ways to slow that down. I got gotcha, you. But gotcha. yes, absolutely. Blank bailing is an excellent way to get to get started back up. You know, to get that shot process and your form and everything back. To, to me, it's kind of like you can you can almost single out like if you're having an issue with your grip, it's just not feeling right, or you're having an issue with releasing clean, or or your knocking point and getting. That's the place to be able to practice it because you can kind of single out those that one process and not focus on a target, not even have to open your eyes you can do it if you're up close um completely with your eyes closed and just focus close your eyes on and slip that release or worry about your grip and you know you really single out those those trouble areas and work on those specifically absolutely and then you also you don't have any worry about losing your arrows you know what i'm saying because like that's one thing about all this stuff you know everything you know anymore you you know you it's, it's, you know, it costs money to get, if you lose arrows, my goodness, I've lost a ton of them, but like blank bailing is one of those ways too. Like you said, you know, you get back in it and you get going and everything, you can get everything right before you actually get out there and start shooting at distance, you know? And yes, I would say blank bailing would definitely be one, a very good practice, you know, for getting back in it because you can build your strength up and, and, and like you said, work on those, all those little things that you're ready that you're wanting and you're needing to get done so that when you get there and you start shooting at your targets, you know, you're making the best shots you can. 
So true, Lance. So true. Are there any other like drills? Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier about you don't necessarily shoot a bunch of arrows every night or when you're practicing. And, and I think, you know, before we started recording the show, we were talking, I told you that I didn't really get into archery until I was a sophomore in high school. Cause there wasn't any, there wasn't any bow hunters in my family. And, uh, my friends were kind of into it, but not really enough to motivate me. And, uh, so when I first started shooting, it was like, okay, I got to shoot 50 arrows tonight. It wasn't about, I was trying to be accurate, but it's like, I got to, I had always heard muscle memory. So it was like, okay, the muscle memory is yanking this string back and shooting. Are there any other tips and, and maybe little games that you do during, during the summer months to prepare for hunting season besides blank bailing? Um, well, you know, like I'm sure you guys did as a kid. I still do it as a, I guess I consider myself an adult. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like in your mind, you're like, oh yeah, there, you know, like big old 10 pointer just walked in, yes. you know, playing those games in your mind. I do that stuff all the time. Oh. Cause for me, I don't know. It's just like the visualization. And then, cause you only got that one shot, you know, uh-huh. when, you're in the, when you're in the deer woods, you only got one shot. So I you're can't... sitting there at the target and I, I visualize and play those games in my head. And then hopefully I made a good shot, you know, and if not, well. I can't tell you, how many, you hopefully next time. I can't tell you how many Boone and Crockett deer I've shot practicing, man. It's it's incredible. I'd have a wall full of them. I love I love yeah, doing me too. that Absolutely. In, in my head. But it's it's <laughs> but, so true. If you, if you limit yourself to that one arrow, and and I like to do it at random distances, um, and, and try and guess a number in my head, I guess you know, and then just confirm it with a rangefinder, just in case I get to a place where deer spotted me. Um, in a hunting scenario, and I can't reach my rangefinder. I'm at least kind of confident and be able to get within a yard or two, um, you know, judging the distance um, from a stand and everything, and then trying to make that one single shot. Oh, absolutely. I And I think that's, you know, something that I like to do as well, just, you know, not always shoot with the confidence of the rangefinder. Um, another thing to do is, you know, practice shooting from seated position. Yes, you know, a lot of times we're real guilty of just going outside in the yard and standing, standing and shooting. Well, you know, sometimes they sneak in on you and you don't have time to stand up. You just grab your bow and draw back, you know, and right. or, so or, or ground practicing blind from situation. a seated position. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Oh, absolutely. Do you practice anything? Then, uh, oh, go ahead. No, another thing I like to do is I'll run a lap around my house, right? Mm-hmm. Run around the house and, and kind of. Or do like 10 push-ups or something, you know, get your heart rate going a little bit and then and get a little short on breath, you know, where you're breathing a little harder and then draw back and make a shot that way. Not that it's the same kind of rush as when there's a deer standing in front of you or, or an elk or a turkey, but at the same time, it helps you get those, you know, like that mojo flowing so that you can kind of, it's kind of like replicating the thing, but then you know it's not, so strange of a feeling i guess when you get that when it is time to make that shot it's a, it's a good thing i've got a small uh duplex and i don't have a big house because i haven't <laughs> been running like i should <laughs> but now that's a that's a definitely a, a good point because you it, it's inevitable and every hunter has the you know increased adrenaline increased heartbeat when that game is you know whatever it is is, is closing the distance but just getting your body you know 
into that groove and and being able to make your make that shot and, that, and that's another one of those like kind of outside forces if you've done um your practice and you're confident in your routine you can block all that out um or or quite a bit of it and just focus on on making that shot oh yeah absolutely another thing i like to do is i'll put like i'll screw in a like a bow hanger in in the yard and in, in one of the trees and, and hang my bow up like in the evening when I'm, out messing in the garden or whatever this time of year and then just at random go and grab it you know not being warmed up or anything and just go and grab it and draw back and make you know like a 30 yard shot like say you'd be in your tree stand Mm -hmm. you know but just just you know at random not being stretched because i mean it never works out like it's never like right after you walk in and you're all warm and loose and you just got your stuff situated and then here they come it's usually you've been sitting there for a couple hours and you're all stoved up and stiff and then it feels like you're pulling 90 pounds when that sucker comes in because your heart's beating so fast and all this stuff's going on oh for for sure you know one thing uh for me what i've always done is in my parents yard i don't have many trees in my in my own house at my own house my own yard but i'll hang a couple tree stands in my parents yard in their trees and shoot target out of a tree stand and uh, I'll even, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50. And then I'll, one thing I'll do that I didn't do this for years, and it kind of it cost me on a couple, of, a couple of deer is they came into, like, the base of the tree, and I'd never shot a target or a deer at that straight-down angle, and, and I ended up missing the deer. And it's like that's one thing that I think um, has really helped me in, in preparing and, and basically replicating uh, what's going to happen out out in a tree stand is deer going to come in at various angles, various distances, and that's one way I can combat for that elevated shooting. Oh, absolutely. When I was a kid, my dad would do that, you know, to get me used to being in a tree stand and shooting out of a tree stand. We always had a ladder stand leaned up against a tree somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then and we'd have the target out there and move it around. And I remember... One time I, I had bought uh, like a 3D deer target and, and had it set up in the yard. And, and I remember my dad going out there, you know, and turning that deer where he was quartering to you or quartering away from you yeah. and practicing those shots, you know. Not necessarily like looking for like on the kill rings, you know, because a lot of times those aren't in reference to like actual life shots that you'd take. Yeah, definitely. But like, you know, looking at like, all right, this deer is really steep quartered away. You need to be, you know hitting it here and 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 practicing those things because you know all that like we were talking about the visualization with the booners always being in the yard you know and and uh but all that stuff it just helps because then it's not so new you know what i mean you've kind of been there before even though you really haven't but in your mind you have you you faced that situation and so it's, it's like one of those things that always yeah you know it's like everything it gets a little bit easier each time you do it mm-hmm mm-hmm and I, we're, we're gonna we're gonna touch on some some um, I guess shot placement things here here in a second. Um, uh, we've talked about target panic a lot, and and you know, and, and talking with with some friends and such. You know, um, in particular, one of our friends he had he had not the best of seasons last year based on his um, shot placement, and and it, as it was as a result of target panic, basically. In a, in a Strictly hunting situation, and what what is your best advice to to get rid of target panic? And 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 I know we covered it, and that comes with practice and routine and this and that. 
But let's say you've done all that, and and you're and this is I guess from just a hunter to a hunter. What's your best advice for those people out there who who can shoot a target during the summer and just great groups any distance? You just put it out there, and they're just they're putting the arrow where they need to. But then when a deer gets in front of them, they freeze up. What what advice do you have for those? Um, you know, it's it comes back to just like what we've talked about all the time. I like like some of that man is just you know it's all it's all nerves, it's all anxiety, and like we talked about right. with the shot process, um, it's one of those things you just have to like you have to drill that into your head and then trust that because a lot of right. it comes with apprehension. You know, you get nervous and then you start questioning yourself right off the get go. Well, how far is that deer? Can I make that shot? Is he going to stop here? You know, is he quartering to me? Is he quartering at me? Is he going to smell me? Mm-hmm. You know, you get all these things going through your head, right? But then you're forgetting, like, these basic things. Like, man, all I got to do is draw back and settle and just make this shot. You know, this is a 25-yard shot. This is nothing. Yeah. I got this. You know, but all those other variables come in. So it, it comes down to, like, you know, one really good way to, to cure target panic is by shooting a hinge. Right. And, and not necessarily saying you need to go hunt with a hinge or back tension, mm-hmm. but you can you can really, you know, you can make yourself have great form because, you know, those things, I don't know if you've ever shot one. I have. But a lot of times if you're not doing it right, you can't make it go off. Gotcha. You know, if you're not having. Gotcha. Or if you're not doing it right, so you, can you can make can... it go off mid draw. I've heard horror yeah, stories about yes, that. That's that. why I'm a little bit scared. I, I've shot one one time in my life, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet. Generally, if you get it when you punch yourself, not, not all the time, you know, not not absolute here, but a lot of times if it goes off a mid-draw, you have that dude way too hot or, like, it, <laughs> it's that way too light for what what you're doing at the time. Now, a lot of them guys will shoot them super light. I had one that I shot. Like, it had a click in it, you know, for basically for safety. You'd draw back and then mm-hmm. set, and you could click it, and then you knew all it was was just a couple pounds of pull, and it'd go off. Well, I would draw mine back, and it would click in mid-draw Ooh. and set and then fire. But, you know, you could you could shoot the lights out with it, right. but it was a little shady, Yeah, you know. Yeah. But you can do that, like, and, and with the blank billing, you know, you get that hinge and crank the bow weight down. Okay. Right, so it's easy on you, and you just get in there and eyes closed and just focus on, on your shot itself. You know, just you know, like I don't necessarily believe like all the, and like I don't believe that you have to like push and pull so hard, you know, like you're going to pull that bow apart. Yeah, like I don't. I'm not that guy. I think you just need to have enough pressure on that front bow arm, and it matches the, the your draw arm. Mm-hmm. You know, your pressures are equal, and they're, they're enough to keep your bow, you know, at full draw against the back wall, but you don't need to just rip it in half. I don't, I don't think that way. I don't think that you have to do that to be accurate. Gotcha. But I think that if you, if you have faith in your process and you've because, I mean, really, man, that's what target panic is. It's that anxiety taking over. So if you can just get your shot process, it's what can is you just you can rely on it and let it take over because i mean essentially tournament nerves will do the same thing to you you know i don't know how many times i've gotten up there and like 
mouth gets all kind of watery, like you feel like you want to puke a little bit, you know, because <laughs> you're standing up there and it's down to just make, making these arrows and probably yeah. nobody's watching you, but you feel like the world is. a thousand people yeah. are watching you at one time and yeah, you know, and you just kind of feel like everybody's just caving in on top of you, but you just got to take that breath and be like, all right, I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I've done this a thousand times and just let that take over. Right. I, I guess one one thing, and, and I'm not sure if it's even um, the right method to use, but I get, this is for me personally in a, in a hunting scenario situation. If there's a deer that's coming in that's a target deer, whether it's a doe or, or you know the buck we're after, it doesn't matter. When it comes time to make the shot when I know, okay, it's going to stop within, it's going to stop at 25 yards, or I'm going to be able to make it stop at 25 yards. At that, my mind just completely switches to, and I I, I say the individual hair just to be precise, and, and that way I'm not focused on anything else, but I, I pick out the hair or the, like, the little tuft of hair on that deer's hide that I want to aim for. And it's that, that pocket right behind the shoulder, and I'm focused on that, and from me picking up my bow and getting it drawn from all the way through and through till I release, I am focused just on that. And so I guess for me, that's my personal way of, of trying to block out um, some outside forces if I'm confident that a deer is going to stop. Um, and it's just kind of that, that sole focus on my mind. That's where I'm, that's where I'm going to you know, punch the release at when it settles on that spot. He's going to be there. He's going to anticipate he's on edge a little bit. He's going to drop into that, and I know I'm going to make a clean shot if I aim there. And that's my that's how I build confidence, I guess, as I'm drawing back and making the shot. And and I, that, to me, is, is excellent because it goes back to that one thought. Your mind can only process that one thought. Mm-hmm. So if you feel it with this is the only – this is my – this is what I'm – you know, my target right here this this tuft of hair you know right there by the pump house that's where i'm that's where i'm aiming right right and that's the only thing i'm focusing on and so that consumes it and then yes it in in return it will help you because i do the same thing like if i'm you know in a stand and and i see a you know one of the bucks that we've identified early in the year that hey this is what this is a shooter as soon as i do i don't ever look at his rack again because if i do i get buck fever like nobody's business and (laughs) i might as well not even pick my bow up yeah, I, I I hear you, and I think that for me, the only reason I did that is because, and I guess I paralleled that with golf is I knew, like when I'd walk off a distance, um, you know, it's like 139 yards. I had this shot in my mind that I had to hit, and it was that shot only. And everything, you know, from me getting set to that golf ball was make this shot, this single shot, and. All the focus goes there. I hit it, and hopefully the result is good. Um, but I guess I just translated that into a hunting situation, and that's the focus. That's what I need to do. That's where it needs to go, and see it. See it almost even before it happens. That you just kind of see that knock or that light knock just kind of disappear in there, anticipating that one spot being just the focal point of the success of the hunt. I guess. Yeah, and and I re- and. For me, that as a hunter and, and as shooting targets, that's—I I really feel like like if you can do something like that, it will help you tremendously as far as with target panic and what it, you know, on animals, especially on animals, is is just 
Because, I mean, you know, when we're shooting foam, heck, it doesn't really matter if you don't hit it right. And big deal, you got five points instead of 12. But, you know, on the animal, like, if you can get that down, I mean, I, I think you've got a heck of a system, man. I, I really do. I, I like that. Sweet. Hopefully I'll be able to put it to use this year. Yeah. I've spent time in the tree with him. You know, it's a good concept, but I'm not sure it's it's been too – uh, proven for oh, him. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Deer falling within sight, left and right. <laughs> yeah, so Lance, what is your, you know, oftentimes we say bottom third, bottom third, but I've always kind of been like, I go even a little bit below bottom third. If you're, if we're talking about a white-tailed deer, and Matt talked about it a little bit, is the kind of a tough to hair, but I, oftentimes you'll see that little bit of white belly hair come out almost in the armpit area, you would say. That's, that's usually where i aim a lot it's almost that i don't know bottom eighth maybe um is that kind of where, where do you where do you aim at a white-tailed deer let's say broadside um i would say you know broadside generally in the same area that you're speaking and a lot of it has to do too like if you you know body language of the deer sure. but yeah, if a deer yeah. comes in he's calm broadside you know like that little point where the shoulder blade makes that little point Right. Right below that little point is pretty much right where I aim. Mm-hmm. Is where I like to put one right through there. I, I feel like, and, and if you go back to, you can just go onto YouTube or whatever it is and just go and watch deer react to a shot. Just fast forward through a video. And nine times out of ten, they're going to flinch just enough that that shot, if you're aiming right there, is going to hit the bottom third between that and the middle. Like, really, you it's surprising even though you're aiming that low on a deer just the reaction time and the bow speed um all that put together that deer reacts to that noise just enough that it just hits the boiler room so much it's it's almost a little nerve-wracking aiming that low but it is so effective completely agree with you you know lance when we do these podcasts matt usually prepares notes and sends them to me and oftentimes i'll add stuff to them and we add questions sometimes during the podcast, but Matt just, he's hes opening up a whole can of worms with this next question, I'm afraid. But this is like the age-old <laughs> debate, Ford or Chevy, but in the bow hunting world. And you might know where we're going now, but are you a fixed broadhead or mechanical broadhead guy when it comes to bow hunting? Well, I i have been pretty much Careful a, what you say a here. fixed broadhead. <laughs> I've been pretty much a fixed broadhead man as far as for like deer, elk. I've pretty well always shot fixed broadheads. Like I had some, some I'm not going to throw out names, but I had sure. some that were didn't mechanicals that did not perform well, mm-hmm. and on shots that I felt were good. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of why I always went that route. However, I on turkeys. Like shooting turkeys, I love to shoot turkeys with big old nasty mechanicals. Just, <laughs> big two, I, two I, plus it, inch gaping hole. Yeah, um, yeah. Like yeah. you can stick your hand in there after the after the job's done. <laughs> um, <laughs> or you know, just almost chop their head clean off. Right, right. Uh, but as you know, man, I think really. Where I'm at with it is there, the technology nowadays is just absolutely tremendous. Like there are, you know, you can take a 90% of the broadheads, fixed blade broadheads anymore. Like, you know, back 
you know, 10 years ago, a lot of times you had to do a whole bunch of extra work on a, on a fixed blade broadhead to make it fly worth a darn. Uh-huh. But anymore, you can take 90, 95% of them out of a package and screw it into your arrow and put that thing on a spinner and spin it. And it'll just spin just as true as if it was a field point, you know? Right, right. And, and then with the mechanicals, like the way they're building mechanicals anymore, they're, they're dang near fail proof as far as opening. Uh-huh. So for me, where I'm at with it is if it's legal, you know, you if you want to shoot mechanicals, by all means, shoot whatever you are most confident with. Right, right. Because that's where I think it all comes down to, even when the shot, but, you know, with, with everything, it comes down to confidence. So if you are confident going into the woods with those mechanical broadheads because you've shot them out of your bow, and that's something that I think everybody should do, even though they say they fly like field points, you need to shoot them with your field points, just so you know. So you don't have that that thought just creep into the back of your mind as as a deer's coming in. Oh wait, I didn't shoot, but just take that take that one. And a lot of them sometimes come with that practice broadhead that's going to fly similar. What are your thoughts on those? Would would you use that that practice one, or would you go ahead and just burn a um, a a broadhead, a mechanical broadhead, and just test it, just um. I would just apples, it, apples. like get your. It, I would shoot. I would shoot the broadhead myself, and I I do shoot the broadhead. You know, I don't shoot them into like a. I don't generally shoot them into bags because getting them out is kind of always a pain in the butt. But like right. a layered foam target, mm-hmm. I I always shoot. I'll shoot all three of mine, and then I'll just take them apart and clean the foam off of them. Yeah. But I I I shoot mine every time just because I don't want to have shot one and then the other one say the ferrule was bent or whatever not that that's common but for me it's just like i guess an ocd thing i'd rather shoot them and know that they fly well and fly right and then put them in my quiver and and not have to worry about it after that sure sure so when it comes to shooting back on that are you and this is something i think you'll you kind of have to deal with both worlds but if you're practicing for hunting are you shooting for me, I shoot. I do the blank bailing, and then I shoot dots a lot, just preseason. And then as the season gets closer, I start, I start shooting 3D and trying to focus on vitals on a on a deer. Are you a dot guy? Do you shoot dots throughout the year? Or do you switch over to 3D completely during hunting season? Um, no, I pretty much just shoot dots all the time. Like I feel, honestly, feel like when I started shooting like a Vegas face. You know the the, the three spot target, <clears throat> um, that Vegas face. You know shooting a Vegas round, a, a indoor round three hundred. Mm-hmm. I I honestly felt like I got better as a shooter shooting that game. That is so frustrating. That game is so frustrating to shoot, <laughs> but I felt like it made me a better shot in the woods. I mean, by a long ways. Like, I was right. so much more confident. Like, I'll tell you what, the, the year, the spring after I started, so I started shooting that fall, mm-hmm. right, at outdoors. And then the first, then the and then coming into winter was the first winter I'd ever shot this, uh, this game. And then shooting that Vegas face. Well, that spring I went out turkey hunting, and I killed a turkey with my bow at 72 yards. And I had a 70-yard pin. And I range find that, and I hit that dude with the range finder, wow. and I made that shot. And it wasn't like I was like, I, I mean, literally, I don't, I'm not trying to brag, but I was confident enough in my shot that I could yeah. make that shot. And I, I 
rolled that dude right there in that field. That's incredible. You know, you hear about like Winchester's Longbeard XRs in this third degree. Yeah, shoot them at 1560 lances up there. <laughs> 72. Damn. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, but it was. I, I think that that's just kind of a testament to being confident in, in the shot that you know you can make and then translating that from a target um, or just practice in general to a hunting scenario. It, it, absolutely. It absolutely is. I I don't think there's a person out there that won't benefit from, from shooting spots because it's, you know, I mean, it's it's like golf. Like you're talking, it's a game of small. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you want to shoot that, that elusive 300, you know, it's it's not like you look at it like hey, this is only 20 yards and that you know <clears throat> that 10 ring is you know like the size of a quarter it's a little bigger than that hey that ain't no big deal right shoot <laughs> that's it you'll be so frustrated at that uh, but i'm telling you it'll make you a better shot right. it'll make you it'll make you hungry and it'll make you a better shot it's kind of that phrase aim small miss small and i actually taped that on my bow years ago because it was that i guess the motto that i I still tell myself when I'm shooting, aim small, miss small. And oftentimes when I'm shooting a 3D and it's got vitals, but a lot of times those 3D targets, you don't see the vitals real well. They, they, they whatever, wear off, sun bakes them off. And so you're just aiming at the body shape of a deer. You don't really have anything to specifically pick out. So even if I was shooting a, a 3D, I'll still go up and maybe spray paint or put a, a dot or something to where I'm still aiming at that. Um, even though it's in the kill zone, I'm trying to basically pick a very small spot and aim exactly on it. Yeah. Yeah. I do that or I'll shoot an arrow into it, you know, like say you're back here and, and you shoot one and then I'll use my arrow as, you know, I want to mm-hmm. shoot my arrow, you know what I mean? So I shoot and just try to slap all my arrows together. Right, right, right. So we're, 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 kind of wrapping up here but i i want to i want to know what your season's like i know you're you're now living um not too far outside of springfield but you still go home southeast kansas some and and hunt some in northern missouri what is your season looking like got any great deer on camera on either of those places and are you taking any trips um i i am as of right now i do not have any great big trips any big out-of-state trips, I guess, uh-huh. planned for this fall. I do have, uh, last year, um, I had two really, really nice deer over on the, the farm in southeast Kansas. Um, just just really nice tens, both of them. And they were, I'm going to say one of them was probably only a three-and-a-half-year-old deer. The other one was four-and-a-half, five-year-old. I mean, he was a good deer, really sure. good deer. Um and both of those deer, to my knowledge, are still there. Uh, I have cameras in the tree. I have not made it back over there to check them yet. Right. Um, and then in Nor- the farm in northern Missouri, that place is just, it's kind of one of those magical places. You know, it's just, uh, it, there, I mean, there's just big deer, it seems like, everywhere. Right, right. Uh, we had, uh, that farm had a really, really bad deer kill on that EHD. Mm-hmm you know, that we had like back in 13. Yeah. And, and it's got, it's, you know, kind of, it's kind of come back from that now. And we've got good age class of, of bucks running around. And, and last year we had probably, I would say we went from probably having half a dozen good shooter bucks on that place to one probably. Yeah. 
and now I would say we're back to we're probably back to that six to eight good shooter deer on this place. You hear that? So Adam? I I can tell you, man. I've got a Kansas tag, Matt. Don't well, you? That, that was more. That was Missouri. Oh. One for me, one for you, yeah. one for Lance. Two for Lance. We'll give we'll give him two. That's still he's still got plenty for the next season. <laughs> That's awesome. I can That's tell exciting. you, there's a couple of them deer. Yeah. That I've seen so many like like there's this big nine that mm-hmm. I've seen. I'm I'm fairly certain he's the same buck. Um. But like last year, I, I saw him like three different times. Yeah. And you know, if it was a muzzleloader, oh, he would have been, you know, in the back of the truck. Yeah, sure. And he's just one of those deer. Like I want to shoot. That's the deer I'd go after. I think if I went up there on my first night, we've got probably, I don't know. There's two good, you know, mid 140s eight pointers that are four years old mm-hmm. or better. Kind of I don't think I'd shoot either one of them if they walked in at 10 yards. I'd wait to see if that nine-pointer would, right. would come through. He's just, you know what I mean? He's the one. He's He's got the target on his it, back. It, for isn't sure. it amazing how you just kind of get fixated on a deer? It, it's kind of a disease, but it's amazing. You know, it, 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 it transverses the years. Like, you know, you have an encounter with him one year, and you're like, oh, that's him again. And you have like those multiple encounters, and then that's all. That's all you can think about. That's it. He's he's he has put a target on his back, and he didn't even know it. Just because you get so fixated on a deer, and uh, that, oh yeah, gosh, it's it's so much he, fun he, anticipating it. It is, you know, and it, it. I get like it's like I probably worse now as like a semi adult than I was as a child waiting for Christmas. <laughs> right like yeah. this is you know this is christmas is coming man and i cannot can't wait it can't get here fast enough i know it i know it and that's like i love christmas um and and it's only a day long and season's five months <laughs> so it's awesome yeah oh man well well lance we uh we really appreciate sharing uh the time with you and you sharing all your knowledge and um just thank you for for coming on yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me, man. It's It's been fun. It was great having you on here, Lance, and um, we wish you and the rest of the, the team um, in the World Championships coming up here in September all the best of luck and can't wait to kind of follow along and see how you guys do. Um, we got we got high hopes. You guys will do awesome. Well, I appreciate it very much. I do. No problem. And keep us updated on the season, um, on what, what's going on in Kansas and Missouri. It sounds like you've got an exciting time, and, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to swap some, some kill pictures with you. And, and um, also, con- congratulations and, and good luck with the, the new kid. you got another one on the way. So that'll – Yes, sir. I know it's kind of bad timing, I guess we'd say, just before season rolls around. But best of luck, and um, congratulations to you and, and the rest of your family. All right, thank you. Thank you, Lance. We'll see you. Lance is the man. He's extremely, extremely knowledgeable and humble, um, but a seriously world-class shooter. And uh, a lot of good information and and just on topics that a lot of people face not only year in and year out, but on a a day-to-day basis when it target panic, when a deer comes in. How do you face that? And I think he, he offered a lot of really good advice and advice for practicing getting ready for season. When you're hearing him talk, the whole time he's very almost nonchalant about his techniques, very laid back about it, very uh, even talking about target panic. Um, it's 
it's all kind of between the ears with that and the anxiety that goes with it. Um, but even his techniques, everything he does is very, like, the one thing I picked up on is no matter what, he uh, he knows what he's capable of. And he doesn't ever, it seemed like it, it was somebody that you hear that is like, I know I'm going to shoot where I'm aiming. Like, mm-hmm. this is this is the, there was a confidence with everything he said. And I think that's one of the biggest things in being a, a great shot is, is being confident in your equipment and yourself. And then if you are confident, you're not dealing with the anxiety of target panic. And, and, uh, it was just, I'm just blown away, um, at the, I guess the accomplishments, everything he's done, even blown away at, wow, he was already shooting at, target or shooting tournaments at seven i wasn't even thinking about a bow until my goodness i was probably 15 i think when that happened and you know he as a veteran i have more respect for him i guess he's already got my utmost respect as being a veteran but when you hear his story and the fact that he mentioned it one time we didn't talk about it through it is that he was actually purple heart injured in the war um and he has still gone on to be this inc- incredible shot, an incredible, uh, well, incredible source of information in the world of target uh, shooting and and bow hunting in general. Yeah, I, I think the 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 coolest part is for me is you take a world class shooter um, and you boil it down and you get to his foundation and it revolves around white tailed deer and just making ethical shots. That's that's what has just driven him from from day one, and uh, I think we can all just kind of, as hunters, one we should all have the utmost respect for white-tailed deer and, and any game you're you're chasing and making those ethical shots. But he has taken it um, to an not an extreme level, uh, uh, too far, but a, in a level that is admirable. And um, he took it to Beijing. <laughs> he took it to <laughs> Beijing. Yeah, that's around the world. But um, you know. Just the, the the admiration for the ethicalness uh, of training himself so much um, and and just gaining the confidence. The confidence started in the hunting aspect and his techniques and knowing that when a deer steps to within this range, I'm gonna kill it. Um, that's awesome, and that has led him into a successful career in competitive shooting. But a lot of great information. I'm hoping everyone can take some of that information and apply it to. Right here, right now, we're we're middle of summer. Season is quickly, quickly approaching. And if those those are some of the struggles that you face, you know, take to heart what he's what he's talking about, and you know, spend the time in the routine, doing the the blind bail, and just going through that thought process and getting confidence. I think I think confidence um, is definitely a key um, to to being successful, and um, definitely in the archery hunting world. Knowing that you can do it and get yourself there by routine, 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 and practice. Adam, you got anything else to say? You can sit back like mind blown. Yeah, no, not mind blown. I just feel, you know, I laugh every time when I'm like, okay, it's time. Let's start wrapping this up. And, and the preacher and you comes out and you're like, ham- amen. Hammering it home. And I'm like, yeah, dude, we get it. Okay. We're, we're kind of <laughs> hungry for lunch. Okay. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I, that was an awesome podcast. I really appreciate and We both appreciate Lance coming on and uh, sharing his knowledge. And hopefully you guys learned something from this and uh, can take that to the woods and have more success, shorter blood trails, all that good stuff. So 
Anyway, Matt, you got anything else? I'm almost scared to ask. So, um, just a closing prayer. <laughs> yeah, an altar call. Altar call. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <me> yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine how long your altar calls would be. But anyway, so yeah, that pretty much wraps up this week's Land and Legacy podcast. We will catch you guys next time. See ya. Here, you can do take two if you want another one. Bye. There you go. <laughs> I think I like that one. Oh, hey. We're going to QDMA tomorrow. We're leaving tomorrow. Yeah. So if you if you haven't followed along on QDMA's the National Convention and everything, be sure to check them out, social media and everything, through this weekend because they're going to be posting a bunch of stuff. Uh, Matt Ross, Kip Adams, um, Lindsey Thomas, all those John Eastman, all those guys are going to be keeping um, everyone up to date on what's going on at the convention and the Louisiana Sportsman Show, we're presenting at 9 a.m. 930, 9.30, 9.30 uh, oh, Friday morning. It no, it is 9. It's yeah. 9. We'll be there, I promise. 9 a.m. Friday morning, um, how to be a QDMA architect. So we're, we're pumped for it. It's going to be a great event. Uh, but just kind of keep tabs on social media. Follow those guys on Instagram, and they'll keep you updated on what's going on. All right, I think we're done now. Are you sure? Amen. <laughs> you didn't even, yeah. All right, sounds good. We'll catch you guys next time. This time, we're for real. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you want to see more, check us out at landandlegacy.tv or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind, remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God. Mm